0: Welcome back to Around the Cauldron, where we talk theology, philosophy, and everyday life as a modern witch. Being online in any witchy space can make you feel like everyone is making their spiritual practice their job. Even those who aren't in an online space can feel this way if they lead covens or groups. Thorn Mooney even writes about it in her new book, The Witch's Path. This is something that I've been struggling with myself and I'm glad to know I'm not alone. So let's talk about what it means to make your spirituality your business. As always, a huge shout out to my patrons over on Patreon for making this show possible. Thank you, Rose, Jess, Hillary, Lee, Angie, Magical Crafting, Bliss, Beverly, Jessica, Jennifer, Laura, Chris, Nad, Brittany, Meredith, Jessica, Tia, Stephanie, Gordon, and Lycan. If you would like to help support the show, head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash roundthecauldron, and you can add your name to that list for as little as a dollar a month. We have a lot going on this month astrologically. Adriana Morales has blessed us with another astrology forecast, and don't forget to follow her on Twitter. The link will be in the show notes. Also, just as a reminder, remember that when it comes to dates for astrological events, you should always double-check the exact dates to your location. This is especially true this month when your location will change many of the dates and events. We begin September with the Sun in Libra, where balance, justice, and harmony have been the focus. We also maintain the previous retrogrades of Mercury in Libra, Jupiter in Aquarius, Saturn in Aquarius, Uranus in Taurus, Neptune in Pisces, and Pluto in Capricorn. Around the 6th, depending on your location, we'll have the new moon in Libra. This harmonious and balanced energy brings us an opportunity to work in partnerships or relationships. This energy will be very strong as we have the Sun, the Moon, Mars, and Mercury retrograde in Libra. Take advantage of the positives of this energy to counteract the downfalls of the current Mercury retrograde. On the 6th, Pluto goes direct in Capricorn, which means it will be going out of the current retrograde. Pluto is about change and transformation, but also can be an obsessive energy. Pluto in Capricorn invites us to rethink all the set structures in our lives, like work, businesses, and even the government. Take this as an opportunity to reevaluate your life in these areas and try new beginnings that are more truthful to yourself. Pluto stays in Capricorn until March of 2023 when it will move briefly to Aquarius until June to come back to Capricorn. It will then move definitively to Aquarius in January 2024, so you still have a couple of years to apply this energy to your life. On the 7th, Venus enters Sagittarius, leaving the detriment in Scorpio to a sign that loves freedom and travel. This isn't the best moment for commitment, but it's perfect to seek adventure and fun in your life alone or with a partner. On the 11th, Saturn goes direct in Aquarius, leaving the retrograde to move forward in the sign that it rules. As Saturn is dignified in Aquarius, this will be an easy period that will invite us to think in our personal goals and principles and the social aspects in our lives. Saturn stays in this dignified placement until March of 2023. On the 18th, Jupiter goes direct in Aquarius, bringing back our luck and need to make changes in the world in order to achieve a better planet. This will also be a period where technology will be important in our lives. Use technology to make changes or speak about the change you want to make. Jupiter will stay in Aquarius until December 28th of this year, 2021, when it will move for the second time this year to Pisces. Also on the 18th, Mercury goes direct in Libra, the sign it rules. This will be a period where, again, the communication will have us trying to find balance between our thoughts. People will be more careful with what they say and will try to avoid hurting others. Take advantage of this energy to fix anything that may have arisen during the retrograde. Around the 20th, depending on your location, we'll have the full moon in Aries. This energy encourages us to live in the moment and act. Be careful, as this is also a very passionate energy that might get you in trouble due to impulsivity or the need of confrontation. On the 23rd, the sun enters Scorpio, moving from a not-so-comfortable position to an energy that will be all about intensity, intuition, unpredictability, and mystery. As this is a water sign, emotions will be prevalent during this season. Expect intense emotions and mood swings. Definitely a hard time for sensitive people. The season is also an opportunity to think about the past and try to heal internal struggles, but be careful with destructive behaviors. On the 30th, Mars enters Scorpio, moving from a detriment to one of the signs it rules. Mars is all about actions, and Scorpio is a very emotional but mysterious energy that will result in a possible dark and passionate period. Manipulative behaviors can occur, and we could also find people thinking only of themselves and doing whatever it takes to achieve what they want. Be mindful of this energy, but try to use it to achieve goals you have and might have abandoned. See, that's a lot to cover and think about. If you missed any of it, or if you want to go back and take more notes, you can go back and listen again or check the show notes for a link to the transcript of this episode. Having a spiritual business seems like an amazing thing to do. Make money by doing things you already do? Why not? Just imagine waking up, doing your daily practice, and then sitting down to do tarot readings or spell work for clients. The air around you is heavy and thick with incense smoke. The noise of fluttering tarot cards filters through the smoke as you shuffle for your next client. The candles flicker and your connection with spirit grows allowing you to read the cards for your guests with ease and accuracy. While this is a great visualization, it isn't always an accurate portrayal of what having a spiritual business looks like. I'll talk about my own experience with making spiritual content and having a quote-unquote spiritual business in a few minutes. First, we have to answer the question, what is a spiritual business? In this particular episode, a spiritual business is going to cover a few things. First, it's going to cover an actual business, something you do or sell to make money. This could be a hobby, something you do on the side, or something you're trying to make your full-time job. And keep in mind that all three of those things are going to have different pitfalls of their own. It's also going to cover those who take up the role of creatives in the community. This one is where I fall. While I do technically have a business where I sell tarot readings and physical products, That's sort of a byproduct of my hobbies and things I enjoy doing. My first goal, so to speak, is the creation of videos, podcasts, and other content for the wider community as it pertains to my spiritual practice. The other realm it covers is that of religious leaders in our community. This is going to be people like Thorn Mooney, someone that has a leadership position within their local community. Thorn is a high priestess and she's responsible for running a coven. All of those realms of creation are, in this episode, going to be considered a spiritual business. While not all of them are set out to make money, the main theme between them is that the sole focus of whatever you do has something to do with your spiritual practice. So let's talk about what it's like to make your spirituality your job, or at least the sole focus of what you do. Now, obviously, I can only speak from my own experience and give anecdotal information from others that I've spoken to, so keep that in mind. Having your spirituality be the sole focus of your life can be spiritually rewarding, but also mentally draining, which sounds really backward and wrong. To give you an idea of what it's like for me, Let me run down a list of things I do on a weekly basis solely for my job as a freelancer in the spiritual sphere, but also as a YouTuber, podcaster, and online shop owner. Every week, I have to come up with a video idea for my channel. Sometimes this involves doing a bit of research, seeing what other people are talking about, looking into any hot news or important events, or just choosing something I really want to talk about. Okay? Cool. I've got the idea, now what? Now I have to write the notes or script depending on the video. You might think, okay, that shouldn't take too long, but guess what? Some videos require research. Some videos require sources. And some videos require a script in order for me to keep my thoughts straight. I'll give that an hour tops. Usually it doesn't take me any longer than that to write everything out, but that time doesn't include the research that I do for videos. Then I get to record the video. The fun part. Sometimes. Recording videos comes in chunks. First, I get to record the main chunk of the video. This usually includes me sitting in front of the camera and just talking, reading the script, remembering my notes. That's done. But then I also need to get extra clips. YouTube is a visual platform. And if the video isn't appealing, as much as I hate to admit it, It won't keep the attention of my audience and the message is lost. Depending on the length of the video, filming is done over the course of a few days. Editing the video can take upwards of two hours, again depending on the video. So now it's done, it's uploaded, and I'm finished, right? Wrong. Now I need to write a title and description that won't get lost in YouTube's algorithm, I need to make an eye-catching but not cheesy thumbnail, And I need to transcribe the video so the subtitles are accurate for my deaf and hard-of-hearing audience. The entire process of creating a YouTube video from start to finish takes, at minimum, seven hours total, for one video. That's just for my YouTube channel. Then I have the podcast, which, honestly, is a bit easier since it's just once a month. I write the script, sit down and record, and have the entire thing edited and ready to go in a few hours. These episodes can also require research though, so it just depends again. Then I've got the physical creations I make. These are often way more labor intensive. One cottage witch hat takes me roughly four hours to make. The physical creations come and go throughout the month. Most of what I make is made to order. However, when the seasons come and when I can afford the booth fees, I do enjoy running a booth at a local craft fair or artisan fair. If I do this, I then have to work extra hard to get inventory up to sell at the fair. Side note for any Florida witches, I'll be at Magic in the Woods on October 10th in Palmetto from 9am to 6pm. I'll leave a link for that in the show notes if you're interested. I also do tarot readings for clients in my shop, as well as something I call Freebie Friday on my Discord server and a forum that I help manage. This part can get overwhelming sometimes, and I'll explain a bit of that soon. Outside of all of the things I do for my online spiritual stuff, I also have to do mundane work because despite the fact that I sometimes spend 10 plus hours a day working on my spiritual content, it doesn't pay the bills. It is quite literally a labor of love. Sometimes though, this labor of love leads to a long road of burnout and oversharing. Overall, I easily spend more than 60 hours a week working on content for my business that doesn't even pay me minimum wage. Again, it's a labor of love for sure, but it's also difficult and it can leave me drained, busy, and burnt out. All of this doesn't cover the extra work that goes into marketing, promotion of content, learning that god-forsaken thing called search engine optimization, and trying not to get lost in the sea of other people doing the exact same thing. Then add on to the fact that I also do quote-unquote mundane work to help fill in the gaps where money is missing. Because, let's face it, unless you go viral or have a massive following, it's difficult to even get seen and make an adequate amount of money. Most spiritual people I know that their spirituality is their job also have to work a regular job, and that's okay too. There's a core tenet of the witch's pyramid that says to be silent. Now, not everyone follows these tenets or even thinks about them, but I do sometimes. For me, being silent is about keeping some things to myself, no matter how much I feel like I should share them with others. Some parts of your practice are for you only, and that's okay. But when we make our spirituality our entire lives and all we do, especially online, We can feel like we have to share every aspect with everyone that watches, listens, or reads. There are also those in the audience who would expect that, and seeing as how most of us do this for our audience, we may feel pressure to deliver and share even the most intimate details of our practice with complete strangers. Burnout is real, too. And this is why I always suggest having other hobbies outside of your business or spiritual practice. I know our spirituality are big parts of who we are, and that's wonderful, but when we make it absolutely everything, it can lead to feeling drained easier, ultimately leading to burnout. If you do the same things over and over again, you run the risk of getting bored or tired, right? I feel like that's the best example here too. There's always going to be exceptions to this, so if you have a spiritual business and this doesn't resonate with you, then congratulations! You have found something you absolutely love to do, are passionate about, and don't mind doing on repeat. And I mean this sincerely. Congratulations! Because I feel like that's rare. It reminds me of that old saying, if you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. But sometimes, even when you find something that you love to do... When it becomes a job and it becomes something that you have to do that has deadlines, that has rules and things that you have to follow, it can become a chore and it can become not fun anymore. Now, I know I have said all of this, you know, and it sounds kind of like I'm complaining, but really, I say all of this because even though it gets hard, even though Sometimes I'm burnout, and sometimes I feel like I've hit a wall and I run out of ideas or I feel like no one is listening or no one can even see what I post or see what I write or what I share. I do it because I enjoy it. I do it because I love sitting down, recording this podcast for you, making videos for you. You know, I absolutely love doing this. But just because you love doing something doesn't mean that it doesn't get hard. It doesn't mean that it doesn't get tedious or tiring or draining. I just wanted to put that reminder in there because I realized after saying everything that I have just said, it sounded like I was complaining and it sounded like it really sucked, but honestly, it doesn't. Sometimes it does, but most of the time it doesn't. Most of the time... I really enjoy what I do. Now let's go to our listener question. This question comes to me from Instagram, uh, from Test Tubes and Cauldrons, which is an occult podcast about the science behind spirituality. It's definitely a really good podcast, and I think that everybody listening to my podcast should listen to that podcast as well if that's something that you're interested in. But anyway, they asked, How do you feel about the push to monetize your craft? It is surprising to me that so many people are shocked when I say I never intend to monetize. So for me, this is multifaceted. Sometimes I think the push to monetize comes from well-meaning people in your audience who feel like you deserve to be paid for the work that you're doing because maybe they recognize that sitting down and doing a podcast and editing all of the audio together, they realize that what they're listening to can take hours and hours of work and time. Maybe it's just well-meaning people in your audience. Um, People also might feel like no one starts doing something like a podcast without... with the expectation that they're not going to get paid for it. It's hard for some people to understand that podcasts and videos and other creative content can be created simply out of a desire to share information or just because you like doing it. I don't like the push to monetize content. Um, And I say this as someone that has a YouTube channel that is monetized. Um, That wasn't my goal when I first started making podcasts and doing YouTube videos. My goal was to get what I had to say out there because I feel like my voice is important and sometimes the things that I have to share matter. I also don't like the push to monetize because of capitalism, and I feel like that's where this all comes back to. And it's really a double-edged sword because, yes, people might feel like You deserve to be paid for what you're doing. But then there are also people who might feel like, well, if you get paid to do it, then it becomes your job, which means you then have to answer every single question you get. You have to be available all of the time. And it becomes a different type of relationship between you and your work and your audience. I also don't like the push for monetization because if you learn something or do something just to make money... It can take the fun and passion out of whatever you're doing. So while my YouTube channel is monetized and I do have a Patreon, part of that is just because running a podcast and having equipment and, you know, the upkeep of websites and stuff takes money. And right now, I am a stay-at-home mom. I don't have a quote-unquote mundane job. So anything that I earn goes back into what I'm doing already. I think that surprise just comes from shock that people may feel that you're putting information out there and it's free and they just maybe don't expect it. And then again, you know, people might just think that you deserve to be paid for what you're doing because it is work. It can be difficult. So I hope that answered your question and I hope my opinions on it all made sense because... I have thoughts, but they don't always form cohesive words coming out of my mouth. (laughs) Thank you so much for your question, test tubes and cauldrons. For anyone that is listening, um, I will leave a link to their podcast in the show notes. I definitely recommend checking their podcast out if you're interested in the science behind some spirituality and how the two can definitely go together. Be sure that you're following me on Instagram if you would like to have the option of your question being answered in a podcast. You can also join my Discord server. Again, link for that is going to be in the show notes because I do ask for questions over there too and usually people in my Discord server hear what the topic is before anybody else. Now, I know some people find something that they're so passionate about and they can literally do it for hours and hours and never get bored or resentful of their work. I'm not that person. Sometimes working so much on my spirituality-focused content leaves me just wanting to crawl into bed. I'm not going to lie. Since starting the podcast and my channel, my own practices have gone on the back burner more than once. I have found myself checking notifications, answering questions, and just thinking about what I have to do next before I even finish my morning coffee. The effect it can have on my mental health to constantly be going, to constantly have that switch on, is annoying in the least and mentally draining at its worst. I find burnout to be prevalent in those who turn their spirituality into their livelihoods, or even those that attempt it and realize that it's much more work than they originally thought. It's also not all glamorous and lovely, either. It can leave some of us feeling drained, almost performative, too, since we're always on, so to speak. If we're constantly feeling like we have to share parts of our practice because we're teaching or we've made it our job, where does that leave time for our actual practice? This gets into it too when I'm doing something for my own personal practice and my thought immediately goes to, oh, I wonder if my audience would like this. I should share this. And that goes back to the to-keep-silent tenet of the witch's pyramid. Some stuff isn't for everyone. And sometimes sharing things online (laughs) leads me to think that I should be sharing everything. But I'm going to give you a peek into my brain and how it functions now and Honestly, it did this before with my crochet and fiber arts. It was kind of the same process. Anytime I learn something new, a new divination, a new technique, a new thing that I can probably sell, my brain immediately jumps to that conclusion. I mostly blame this on capitalism and how we're conditioned to be productive members of society and contribute in any way we can, but the drive to monetize our hobbies and skills is one that is heavily prevalent in the spiritual community. This happened to me when I first learned how to read tarot. Even before I got good at it and learned what I was doing, I was ready to jump in and start reading for people and charging for readings. Now, that's not something I would recommend to anyone, especially if you plan on charging for those readings, but that's a different topic. This idea that we need to monetize our hobbies, that we can't just enjoy something for ourselves, is detrimental to our mental health. It has taken me a long time to break that pattern of thinking, and even now it isn't one that automatically goes away. Those thoughts still come to me. For example, I'm learning Oam right now, a form of divination using the ancient Irish alphabet. I have to consciously remind myself that I am allowed to learn a skill and enjoy it for myself. I don't have to sell it. I don't have to do it for other people doing it for my soul enjoyment, is okay. There's also the issue of how monetizing your hobbies or spiritual practices can suck the life, fun, and enjoyment out of those hobbies you once held dear. Instead of looking forward to pulling out that tarot deck, you might end up grimacing and feeling resentment. What did you get yourself into? You used to love reading tarot, but now that you have to do it for money, the fun is gone. Now that you have to do it for money, it becomes mentally and spiritually draining rather than fulfilling. It's become a chore rather than a hobby. Now, this obviously isn't the case for everyone, but it's definitely something to keep in mind if you plan on turning your spiritual practice into money, into a business. And it's not going to happen for everyone, and it might not even happen right away, and you might be five, ten years into whatever you're doing, and then you realize one day, oh, I don't like doing this anymore. I don't enjoy it anymore. That's okay. That's totally okay. And I think sometimes if we turn our spirituality into a business or we make it absolutely everything, there becomes a sort of an obligation between us and our audience that is unspoken. And we might feel like, we can't change our minds or we can't just stop doing something because we don't like to do it anymore. Because what about our audience? They're expecting it, you know? And sometimes that feeling is really terrible because people aren't always nice. If you follow Olivia, the Witch of Wanderlust, um, she has recently switched up her content. She is a witchy YouTuber. Is how she started. I believe it's how she started. But that became a lot of her content on YouTube. And she started to get burnt out. And she started to lose that passion for creating witchy content. So she switched up her channel. And she started to create videos that she was passionate about. Showing things that she enjoyed and sort of leaving that niche of witchcraft YouTube and just being more herself and showing sides of herself and things that she's passionate about. The audience, however, didn't like that. And, you know, she's gotten comments about how they wish she would go back to creating witchy content or she's a witchy YouTuber and she needs to stay in her lane. And... That's hard. That is hard for a creator to hear because what we hear when things like that happen is, you know, oh, we only like you for this one thing. We don't actually like you as a person. We only enjoy this one thing that you do. We don't care about anything else. And while it's well within someone's right to only enjoy a specific type of content from a specific person, those types of comments you can keep to yourself. Because what, what we hear is, we don't care if you're being authentic or not. We just want to consume this one thing from you for free, mind you, on YouTube. You might have to sit through a five-second ad, but it sucks sometimes. It sucks. And I just went off on a tangent. Where am I? Where am I in my notes? Ah, pay. What about pay? Pay. When we think about how long it takes to do a reading or create a spell oil, the prices of our products can be hundreds of dollars because, honey, you're worth the time and your time is worth money in this horrible capitalistic society we live in. The problem, though, like I mentioned in my example with Olivia, is that the general public doesn't see things that are handmade or handcrafted as being valuable. They don't see the hard work that goes into videos or podcasts as being valuable. In my experience with my crochet stuff, um, people would rather pay Walmart for a $10 beanie made in a sweatshop rather than $40 for a beanie handcrafted by an artist that goes back into the community and is usually way better quality. I also realize that this in itself is a multifaceted and nuanced issue, so don't come for me with the capitalism and poverty and how it's all a whole cycle of people are poor so they have to pay for sweatshop stuff. I know that. <laughs> and knowing that makes it especially difficult for, a, for an artist who wants their stuff to be affordable but who also wants to be compensated for their time. But anyway since I can't get in touch with every single person out there that has a spiritual business, I took to the internet and did a few searches. And here are just a few things that some people have had to say about turning their hobby into a business. In this case, you can apply spirituality to what they're saying. Um, I couldn't really find a lot of information out there about people who feel drained by turning their spiritual practice into their entire life. Which is interesting to me because I know it happens. I have spoken with several people who have told me that it's draining. I have my own experience of how it can be draining. It's interesting that nobody is talking about it. Anyway, er, I can't say nobody is talking about it. I just didn't find anything about it online. But here are a couple things that people have said about turning their hobby into a business and why they didn't like it. So this first one comes from an article called Why Turning My Hobby Into a Business Was a Huge Mistake, written by someone named Pasha Nielsen in 2018. The link for this will be in the show notes. They said, my favorite thing in the whole world is hand embroidery. More specifically, porn scenes, hand embroidered on linen, in glorious technicolor. I know my first thought was also instant success. With such a marketable and essential product, with such low overheads, how could you go wrong? Needles cost nothing. Linen costs less, and hoops cost dog shit. My fun time was about to make me roll around in cash as the world's most famous embroidered porn artist. I made an Instagram page, I made a Gmail, and started plugging to everyone I knew. Unfortunately, no one wanted my pornos, so I embroidered hands. Just heaps of hands. My mate bought one for $50, And I realized pretty quickly that my five hours work plus materials meant I was earning about $7 an hour. If I charged what I earned making coffees, each hoop would be worth $125 each, and honey, no one was going to pay for that. There's also an entire Reddit thread, I think that's what they call those, (laughs) about turning your hobbies into a business. And here's one thing that the original poster said. I've been building gaming terrain for a living for close to a decade now. Most of that time, it's been my primary income source. And while I build everything with passion and perfection that I take pride in, it also sucks. I often hate working on this stuff and only feel enjoyment when I'm done and don't have to look at it on the work table any longer. Before it was a profession, I had great enjoyment for the process, But now I just can't help but count the minutes that I'm wasting, the cost to time, pay ratios, and so on. The business aspect of it has taken over my life completely and contributed to a real degradation in my mental health, culminating in a major breakdown last year. Now in this thread, there were also people who were saying that the original poster was on the outside, that they had a business based on their hobby and they absolutely loved it. So there are obviously two sides to this coin here, but I think it's really important that we take the time to talk about or at least think about the fact that those that have a spiritual business or those that share their spirituality online and have a following or make content as content creators, I hate that phrase, um, you know, doing this can feel hard, That's the only word that I can really think of right now. It can be hard and it can turn something that we love doing on our own time, on our own terms, into a soul-sucking chore when we have to do it for someone else just to get paid for it. Now, in my Discord server, Owen brought up the point that our mainstream religious leaders also deal with this burnout. How does, re- how does their religious leadership affect their mental health? How do they deal with burnout when they're leading a community, especially when there's little support for communities and religions such as ours? I can't speak for religious leaders in our community since I don't consider myself one. I can only speculate based on what I think and what I've seen online. If we look at religious leadership in the same way we do content creation and this idea that we need to be on all the time, I can only imagine the type of burnout that religious leaders must face. Could you imagine being burnt out but still planning coven rituals? Drained from the constant need to be present in your community, but still hold meetings and answering questions? Or even the fact that many religious leaders put the needs of their religious communities before their own? Then when it comes down to it and the religious leaders have a moment for themselves, where does that lead them? I'm going to pop a quote in here from Thorne Mooney's new book because it really describes how it feels sometimes. I think she hit the nail right on the head when describing burnout, especially in the role as a creative like myself or a religious leader uh, like she is. Now, this quote is in the introduction of her new book, The Witch's Path, which I have not finished yet. And so, like, this is not an endorsement, but I feel like this, this part of her introduction just goes amazingly with what we're talking about. And I know I've used Thorne as an example already, but Thorne is the only person that comes to my mind when I think of religious leader. It's what she does. In this quote, Thorne is talking about how she's missing a full moon because her life got hectic and she'd rather just sit on the couch with a glass of wine. She writes, quote, I flop on the couch and reach for my date book, which I maintain fervently. I have to or my whole life would fall apart. In all the chaos of last month, I missed the summer solstice. I organized a ritual for some of my coven mates and spent the day at a festival with my local pagan community, but I didn't take the time to do something to mark the season in a personal way. Those two events were fun, but they were more for others than me. My job as the high priestess of my coven is to teach my tradition to others and to model effective ritual for my students. My personal spiritual growth and relationship with our gods is a part of that that's how I got here in the first place, but my obligations to others are the priority. The festival was fun, but I was there as a presenter. Functionally, I was there to work, not to celebrate. So even though I did things for the solstice, I didn't necessarily do things that fed my own craft and nurtured my own spirit. After months of this, I'm starting to feel it. No wonder I feel so disconnected these days. I've been working as a priestess, but I haven't been doing it in such a way that refuels me. I'm speaking and writing for pagan communities, but I've been neglecting my own spiritual needs. I'm a coven leader and a high priestess, but somewhere along the way I stopped being a witch. I didn't even know that was possible. Somewhere along the way when we stop being spiritual for ourselves and only do it for others, When we teach and speak and share and read for others all while neglecting ourselves, we can lose sight of why we're on this path in the first place. Things that once made us happy now can make us feel drained, sad, overwhelmed, or irritated. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who monetizes their spiritual practice, who creates witchy items or spell oils, who does divination for money or anything else is going to have issues. I am simply speaking from my own personal experience and I'm saying that it isn't for everyone and that's okay. There are many things to consider when taking this path and it's okay if this path isn't right for you. Don't jump into sharing your spiritual practice online if your sole goal is to monetize because As I've said here, it can be draining. If you feel like that's totally fine and you can handle it and, you know, it's something that you're passionate about, then go for it. I just ask that you proceed with caution and take the advice of myself, because I don't take my own advice. Why would I do that? And don't let it overwhelm you. Make time for yourself and your personal practice and be sure that you keep some of it sacred, keep some of it sacred for yourself and don't feel like you have to share everything. All right, so now it is time for our monthly tarot card. What tarot card are we going to focus on for the month of October? Let's find out. I am pulling from my Robert Hansen, Hansen Roberts, however it goes, tarot deck. So I'm going to shuffle, and we'll see what card I get. One more. This month's tarot card to see us through October is the Eight of Swords. Consider the ways in which you feel trapped. This is the perfect card to pull for this subject, honestly. Having a spiritual business can make you feel trapped and at the whim of your audience and the algorithm. Think about ways in which you might feel helpless, restricted, or held back. What can you do to break free from that cycle? Sometimes this cycle is one we've created for ourselves. Did you put that blindfold over your eyes or did someone else? Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I will talk to you soon.